Welcome everybody to Sunday service here at New Philly Seaside. It's good to see everybody's faces. As you can see, we've uh, torn down our the first of our many walls. It's a testimony right here of this wall coming down. It's a prophetic act. Of last week, I, it, got, it was really hot in here. And so we're like, we have an AC back there. We want to use it. And uh, instead of hiring a, a fancy construction crew, we asked one man, <laughs> Noble Sominen, along with his band of merry uh, helpers. And so Noble brought uh, Josh Garland. He's not here today. He's visiting uh, somewhere. He's out of town. But Josh Garland was here. Our, our sister Brianne was here. Our sister Ine was here. And Roy was here. Roy actually got a cut on his wrist uh, from tearing down this wall. Kind of looked like he was trying to slit his wrist a little bit. He bled for the sanctuary. But um, <laughs> they tore down this wall and, and, they, and just spent all that kind of a, a lot of time last week just like painting things up and, and um, putting things together. So we just want to thank everybody that helped out for our construction. Um, and, and we just honor it and bless. It saved us a ton of money, you know, like to hire a Korean agency to come here and do that. It would have cost probably like 500 bucks. Just to, and, then, and actually Roy, I mean, Noble took the glass that was here. And, you know, to get rid of glass in Korea is expensive because it's so dangerous. And so what they do is they'll charge you like huge amounts of money to take the glass and then take it somewhere and just break it. I mean, and so I was thinking maybe we could just break it here, put a bunch in our pockets, and then just take it home and throw it away somewhere. But Noble actually took the glass, and he learned how to cut glass. And he cut the glass and made, like, fish tanks in the back. So he he's actually wants to turn it into aquarium, aquariums. Same thing, fish tanks, aquariums. And so um, he's a very uh, inspired man, and so that's, that's what happened to the glass right there. But uh, it's a great testimony of ours. We got this space knowing that we were going to grow. And so, you know, as we fill out this space, we're going to tear down this wall, and it's just going to be one big space. Um, and, you know, as we grow one day, I, I know that we're going to grow out of this place, and we're going to have to find a new sanctuary. But um, it's just a blessing to see this go. Uh, recently, I've been going through the, the book of Acts. A lot of you guys know I've been preaching out of the book of Acts. Um, you know, a tough thing to, pre- to prepare a sermon in Busan, it's tough because it's so nice here in Busan. Especially in the summer, because the beach is very inviting. And uh, last two weeks, you know, on Saturdays when I should have been um, right, you know, preparing my sermon, you know, this, this chunk of time, Saturday afternoon, when I should have been you know, writing my sermon and preparing, uh, I got tempted by my wife. Because she's like, oh, I'm going to go to the beach. And I was like, well, I'm going to go with you. And so, you know, last week I went and hung out at the beach, went swimming. Yesterday I was like, man, you know, don't, don't do that to me again. No, I'm, I'm going to stay, I'm gonna, and, then, and then some people came over to our house, they're like, are we going to go to the beach? And I was like, oh, I'm going to go with you. So yesterday I went, ended up going to the beach and hanging out. And so it makes sermon prep a little harder. You know, it, it, my sermon prep ends a little later. And so I, I, I make a commitment now that throughout the summer, if I have to preach, I'm not going to go to the beach okay, on Saturdays. This is my excuse is I'll just write it on the beach. I even take my computer, and I never do, so... Um, yeah, so, so yesterday, I know we, I was at the beach, and I've been preaching out of Acts, and I was really uh, kind of going through Acts, and I was like, I, I'm in this one section of chapter 5, and I was really chewing on some stuff, and God kind of told me, you know what, put it on, put it on hold for now, and I think it's, he wants me to kind of chew on this a little bit more, so I took some time yesterday to kind of uh, uh, like ask God what to preach on, and um, he really spoke to me very powerfully, because this past week, you know, I have things that happened that he kind of said, this is what, and I want you to preach on. 
And um, so the title of my sermon today is The Power of a Testimony. And you can see today, recently we've started the whole mytestimony.newphilly.cc, just a way for you guys to share your testimony and of, God, of how God's been answering your prayers, uh, bringing breakthrough into your life. And this, this theme of testimony has been kind of running through our church, and it's actually been running through my life as well. And so I want you guys to turn to your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. And, in, and I don't know if you guys read Revelation, but it is a, it's a crazy book. You know, and it, sometimes it's better than any comic book that you're going to find. <laughs> it's exciting. You know, so I'm going to read it to you. Revelations chap- the Re- Revelation chapter 12, verse, verses 7 through 17. Okay. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And we're talking about Satan. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That, act, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud, cloud, a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been, thrown, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. There is power in a testimony. You guys know that? There is power to, there's power to, there's power to heal, power to bring deliverance, power to bring breakthroughs. To inspire faith, to bring hope, there is power in a testimony. When we go on missions, you know, one of the things that we have to prepare for to go on our missions, we have to write our testimony. You know, a while back, Pastor Christian uh, required all pe- people that are going out to missions to write out their testimonies. And why do we do this? Because there is power in our testimonies. Sometimes you don't even need a sermon. Someone tells their testimony and people just get set free. You know, a, long, a while ago, uh, before, um, you know, before Seaside and before even Itaewon, Pastor Christian went to Australia to be, take part in a part. He was invited to Australia to speak at a, at a, at a, a retreat for a, a church in, in uh, I think it was Melbourne, or Sydney, in Sydney. And uh, my wife, Pastor Mina, back then, we weren't married. Uh, she, along with her, along with a group of people, they went as a team down to Sydney to minister to these young people. Uh, in the in the city of Sydney, in this church, and um, one night, Pastor Christian, you know, he he had this sermon that he wanted to preach. And I think the sermon was called the, "The Spirit of Caleb." I was like, "Yeah, it's good, it's a good sermon." But God told him, "No, don't don't speak the sermon. But I just want you to have Mina and Aaron tell their testimony." And I don't know if you guys know, but my my wife has a pretty crazy testimony, and so she went up first, and she just told her testimony. And uh, if you guys don't know, when she was younger, she had a very uh, promisc- promiscuous life. Was running around, you know, partying, you know, sleeping with guys and all that stuff. And she's cool about it. She, she's, she's, not, she's not ashamed. She's not ashamed of her testimony. She actually got pregnant, and she had an abortion. And so she, was, she spoke this testimony out to this young, group of young people that's in this church where, in a, in actually a Korean church, an English ministry of a Korean church. 
they had never seen such honesty in their life. And they're just like, whoa. They're kind of blown away. And, then, and so she just she shared. She's like, yeah, this is how I was. But, you know, she came to New Philly. She came to JCM, and she just got radically transformed. She rediscovered God. She was already a Christian. But she came back to the Lord powerfully. And, you know, I remember uh, going to Friday Fire, and, and we would be in the back. And then, you know, back in, back in Hillside a long time ago, Friday Fire, we had to sit on the ground. We were, the young, we were in the, the elementary room. No, the kindergarten room. And so like a, like a side room. It was like a stage. And then everybody had to sit on the ground. And then we'd, we'd be, I'd go there, and I'd be in the back, and I'd be worshiping, and I'd hear somebody crying, going, <laughs> I was like, man, who is that crying? I look, and I can't tell, but I just see somebody hunched over in her, their back going, it was Mina. She was just crying. And God was like radically just healing so much pain and, and, and just trauma that's been over her life. God was just, you could see she went through a season where God was just radically transforming her life and, and, and just healing her from inside out. And, she, and so when, when she told this testimony, these young people were blown away. They're like, man. And then Pastor Aaron went up. And I don't know if you know Pastor Aaron's testimony, but she has a crazy testimony. She used to be a, she used to be a shoplifter. She steal. You know, she smoked weed all the time. She was a party girl. And then she told her testimony. And, and she just got, it, people were just like in awe. They were like, man, I can't believe that these, these women, these, these girls are so honestly just telling the testimony of how God radically transformed their life. And that night, Pastor Christian didn't even get a chance to preach. He did an altar call, and it just the, the altar was just flooded. He tells it that like, everybody just got up. And even the people, the guys, the cynical guys that are just like, man, you know, the same for me, man. The cool guys, you know, the cool guys, hat on backwards. Baggy, you know, like the, no, it's not baggy pants. This was skinny jeans. Australia has skinny jeans. So they all got the skinny jeans with the, with, the, with the boxer showing in the back. You know how Aussies are. These guys are like, man, man, I'm just here to, to meet girls. And then even these guys came up. And, and the church was just, just applauding because they never thought that these guys would get touched. These guys came up and, and just got radically transformed by the telling of this testimony. And, you know, even that, back from that time, a handful of people, they actually dedicated their lives to full-time ministry. And we actually know people that are in the process of going into full-time ministry from that moment. You know, it kind of started from that, that, that revival, that, that retreat. But it was from just, just the, the transforming power that came over them through a, power, through the, through a testimony. Now, when I was young and growing up in the church, I always thought that testimony was my salvation story. What you were like before you got saved, how you got saved, and what you were like after you got saved. You know, and if you ask about my salvation story, I always tell you I have 12 of them. Because from first grade to 12th grade, every year I went on a retreat, and every time there was an altar call, I went up and said, I accept you, Jesus Christ, in my heart. You know, I always thought, I, for me, I always, it didn't stick. Like the next year I was like, I messed up, I'd be mean to my parents, and I go back to the retreat, like, oh, maybe it didn't stick, let me do it again. But somewhere within the 12, 12 times that I accepted Jesus Christ, it stuck. You know? and, and I did get transformed. I, I did receive jesus christ into my heart and and you know but as i go deeper in my life with christ i'm realizing more and more that your salvation that your testimony is so much more than your salvation story no i'm not saying that your salvation story is not important but a testimony is not one dimensional but the word testimony is a very deep word and as we read here in revelations 12 
that when Satan came to make war against the saints, it says that it says in the word of God that the saints, the church, overcame the devil with the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, we know that the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful. How many of you guys know that the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful? Say amen, if, if you think. Amen. Powerful. Now, it has a power to save. It's, it, it's the only thing that has a power to save. It's the blood of Christ that saves us. It has a power to forgive us. Give us a new beginning. A new beginning. It says in Hebrew that we enter the holiest of holy. We enter into the presence of God through the blood of the Lamb. But when was the last time you heard someone preach about the power of a testimony? Because in Revelation 12 it says that, that they overcame Satan with the blood of the Lamb. But by the word, and by the word of their testimony. And today I want us to break free from our such a one-dimensional view one-dimensional understanding of what a testimony is in our lives. A popular preacher once defined testimony as written or spoken record of anything that God has done in history. And when I read it like this, I was like, man, it's so true. And this means that not only do I have a testimony in my salvation, but I have numerous testimonies that I have access to. God has written countless testimonies of how he has encountered me in my life. And the word of God says that there is power in those testimonies. The power to defeat Satan himself. You know, and you don't even have to have personal like experience in these testimonies for yourselves. You know, like the young people that heard Pastor Mina and Pastor Aaron tell their testimonies, it wasn't their own, but they were able to experience the power that came from that, their testimony as they claimed it for their own lives. And as believers in Christ, we have a multitude of testimonies that we have access to because it's what God has been doing from the beginning of time. He's been writing testimonies. So what are some places where we can look for testimonies? And the first place is the Bible. It's the Word of God. I don't know if you guys know, but this Bible is filled with amazing testimonies. From Abraham to Moses to David, it's filled with amazing testimonies of how God, like how he just interacts and how he blesses and how he just provides and takes care of his people. The book of Acts, I've been going through the book of Acts, is a book filled with testimonies upon testimonies of the, word, the acts of the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit empowered the, the apostles and the disciples to establish the kingdom of God on this earth, the church on this earth. A testimony is a written and spoken record of anything that God has done in history. And if you think of it this way, there is a lot of testimonies out there. Not only is the Bible a source of testimony, but it's in your family and your friends. Just look at what God do, God's doing in the people around you. And we heard Anna Rose's testimony of her leading her student to Christ. Last week, we heard about Brisa and her praying for this, this non-Christian guy at her, at her work and him just being healed in his stomach. There are powerful things that God is doing all around you, and you just have to look. Just look at the life of a God-fearing person, and you will see many testimonies of God 
Not only in the book, in, in the Bible, not only in your friends, not only in your family, but in you. Your own life. Look into your life. Do you have testimonies in your life? A lot of times, man, we forget our own testimonies. We remember other people, but some, we have this, this thing where we just forget. God has, he, he encountered you. He's provided for you. He's blessed you. And then down the road, you forget. And then all of a sudden, some things happen to you. And you're like, man, what do I do? But you forget the testimony that God has already established. And he has written in your heart. In the Bible, through your friends, your family, in your life, God has been writing testimonies. Another source of testimonies is in history. Some people, they get inspired. They'll read about revivals of the past. And they, get, they just get, their faith rises up. You know? When they read about testimonies of what people witnessed and experienced from God's revivals in the past. And some of you guys may know this person, but there's a guy by the name of Smith Wigglesworth. That's a cool name. Wigglesworth. In the early 1900s, uh, he, is a, he is a revivalist from the early 1900s uh, from the Azusa Streets Revival in America. He was poorly educated. He, wasn't, he didn't have a seminary degree. He wasn't ordained. He was actually a plumber. And God used him in a powerful way. And when you read about his testimonies, it's amazing. This guy was so filled with the Holy Spirit that revival and miracles just followed him wherever he went. Their testimonies of Smith Wigglesworth healing people. Like, like crazy, creative miracles that would happen at his revival services. He, he declared that. He's like, it doesn't matter. The first person to stand up. I don't care what it is. I don't care who it is. The first person to stand up is going to get healed. And just the person will stand up and that person will be healed, healed on the spot. There's, there's testimonies of, of people being raised from the dead through Smith Wigglesworth. For the power of the Holy Spirit that was running through Smith Wigglesworth. And I'm going to read an expert, excerpt from a book about Smith Wigglesworth. And it says, my friend, she is dead. He was scared. I have never seen a man so frightened in my life. What shall I do? He asked. You may think that what I did was absurd, but I reached over into the bed and pulled her out. I carried her across the room, stood her against the wall and held her up as she was absolutely dead. I looked into her face and said, In the name of Jesus, I rebuke this death. From the crown of her head to the sole of her feet, her whole body began to tremble. In the name of Jesus, I command you to walk. I said, and I repeated, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, walk. And she walked. Not only was this woman raised from the dead, but she was instantly healed from a terrible illness also. She began to testify to people of her death experience and restoration. It has been recorded that Smith Wigglesworth raised 23 people from the dead in total over the year, years of his ministry. And some of you guys are like, wow. Wow, that's, that's cool. Some of you guys are in here saying like, whatever. <laughs> Man, I ain't never heard anything like that before. But you know what? If you're, if you're a Christian, you have. I mentioned it last week in my sermon. Elijah and Elisha. He raised people from the dead. Jesus raised people from the dead. Paul, he bored a guy who fell off the stairs down second floor. He died. And he's just like, oh, what have I done? Or not, maybe not what have I done, but he was like, in the morning and he throws himself on top of the sky and he's raised from the dead. 
Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead two days later. He raised the dead in the Gospels. He raised the dead in the book of Acts. He raised the dead in the early 1900s through a plumber named Smith Wigglesworth. And he can raise the dead now, today. But some, you know what? Some of you guys are still saying, man, whatever. Because when it comes down to it, most of us in here, we pick and choose which testimonies we want to believe. And we all do it. Whether it's doubt, whether it's unbelief or a lack of faith, you just don't want to, you know, some of you guys, you just don't want to be gullible. We pick and choose which testimonies to believe. When you hear these testimonies, you're like, maybe it was just this one time. Maybe it was a special case. It's for them, but not for me. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24. I want to show you what Jesus thinks about this kind of attitude towards testimonies. Turn to Luke chapter 24. This chapter is talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we look at the gospel accounts of the resurrection, we see that Jesus revealed his resurrection to who first? The women first, right? Is Mary, Mary, and then we go to the, the the they go to the tomb to you know take care of Jesus's body. They're like, man, it's gone. And the angels like, you know, the, this Jesus that you look for, you know, he's been raised from the dead. And they, and they run back. And in Matthew 28, Jesus actually meets them as they're, they're going back to, to talk to the disciples. And the women worship at his feet. And he's like, don't be afraid. He's like, tell everyone to meet me in Galilee. Galilee. And so the, so the women, they go to the disciples and they tell them, Jesus has risen. We've seen him with our own eyes. He's risen from the dead. Our Lord and Savior, our Christ, the Christ the Son of God, He's been risen from the dead. But what did the disciples say? Mary, Mary, why are you bugging? You guys know what that song is? Did you guys get that song? Did you get that joke? You guys don't know that song? It's the two old run DMC. Mary, Mary, why are you bugging? They're like, Mary, you're traumatized. Calm down. No, we know you miss Jesus. Have a glass of wine. Relax. Because you're talking nonsense, girl. And they didn't believe them. This testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the disciples, they just, they just didn't believe them. And I believe to a certain degree that they didn't believe because it was women. It was women saying this thing. And, you know, even now I think there, to, a, you know, to a degree a woman's testimony is weighted less than, than what a man's testimony would be. And that's just wrong. Men are just as gullible as women. But if Smith Wigglesworth in the 1900s was a woman named Sarah Wigglesworth, more people would have disbelieved the testimonies. And so they didn't believe the first testimony of Christ's resurrection. These women, they run. Like, man, you guys women, calm down. Settle down. You guys are talking nonsense. And they, they, they refuse to believe the testimony of the risen Savior. And later on, on the road to Emmaus, it talks about in Luke 24, Jesus appears to two disciples. Now, these were not part of the the 12 disciples that are mentioned, but they were followers of Jesus. And they don't know, and and as as Jesus meets them, they don't know who he is. And they tell this stranger about what happened to Jesus, 
about the woman's accounts of the resurrection. And he told them that they didn't believe. And it says that from Moses to the prophets, Jesus interprets to them in the scriptures all the things regarding himself. And as they're eating, they realize, man, this is Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus vanishes. And right there, they get up and immediately they run to Jerusalem. And they tell the eleven gathered there. They're like, the Lord has risen indeed. I know we thought the women were crazy. But it's true, we've seen him with our own eyes. Now there's two testimonies of the resurrection before them. And you know what? They still didn't believe them. How do we know? Because when, we, when they were discussing this matter, it says, as they were, as, as, it says that Jesus stood among them. And he was like, peace to you. But it says that they were frightened, thinking that it was a ghost. They weren't like, oh, Jesus, you're back. They're like, man, who are you? You're a ghost. Get away. They're, they're frightened. They're freaked out because they still couldn't believe the testimony of the resurrection. And Jesus says to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? And right after, you know, he talks, he said, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Give me some food. It's to prove that, you know, he's not some spirit, you know. He's is is, is Jesus Christ, resurrected in, in, in flesh. Now, Jesus, when he res some, some people, there's some religions, Gnostics, they believe that Jesus Christ, when he raised, he was just a spirit. You know, and, and everything that, all the interactions he did with people were just all in the spirit form. But he proved, I'm a man, I need food. I, I want food, I'm hungry. You know, and it, 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 it's to show how when we, when we're raised, when, when we go up to heaven, we're not going to be a bunch of spirits in the sky floating around. No, but and I, it says in the word of God that we will have a resurrected body. Like Christ. When Christ comes back, he's not coming back as a spirit. He's coming back as a man. You know that, right? He's a fierce man. The way that the, the Bible describes him, he is gangster. And he, when he came, the first time he came as a, a lowly baby in the manger, but when he comes back, he's coming back as a warrior. In the flesh. And, and this is, he, he, he pierces them in this resurrection, resurrected body. And I believe when I come back, I will come back, but thinner than I am now. Because <laughs> I, I believe that God in his grace will give us how we look our best. You know, like, you know, my, I think my best that I looked was like right before I got married. I, I was running every day. I'm like, man, I'm going to get married. I lost all this weight. I'm going on a tangent here, but what I want to focus on is Jesus, when he appears, he says, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? You know, and you know what Jesus is doing here is he's rebuking his disciples for not believing in a testimony. It's like, man, why don't you believe? And you have to stay with me here. We have a culture where we pick and choose what we want to believe when we hear these testimonies, whether it's in the Bible. I believe in Jesus, but maybe the whole God creating the earth in seven days, or maybe I was just a metaphor. Or maybe Adam and Eve is just a metaphor. Whether it's in our family or friends, oh, that's, that's, that's Aunt Sue. She's kind of crazy. She says all these wild things, but, you know, you can't really believe her. Oh, that's Sarah Boyle. Yeah, you know, she, she says these things, but, you know, don't give her any weight. And if, you know, whether it's in the Bible or in your family, whether you read it in history, Smith Wigglesworth or John G. Lake, we pick and choose which testimonies to believe. And, and if Jesus could appear to us today, he would say, why do doubts rise in your hearts? Do you not see the power of a testimony? Hear it 
and believe it because of what I did through Smith Wigglesworth, I can do through you. What Peter did in Acts, you can demonstrate that same power as well. Don't you remember when I said things that you see me do, you also will do, and greater things you will do because I am going to the Father. That's the word of Jesus Christ himself. If Jesus was here today, he would say, what Smith Wigglesworth did, he's doing exactly what I prophesied you would, prophesied you would do. If only we would start believing in some of these testimonies and stop being such a skeptic. You know, when did Christians become such skeptics? Now, we ought to be experts of faith, but we become experts in skepticism. You know, as people, we hate being gullible. I grew up with a sister that was kind of mean. She would tell me these wild things. I would believe her. I will find out later on she was lying. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to believe anything. You know, I'm not going to be fooled again. And you know, as we grow up in our attempts to not be gullible, not be tricked, not be vulnerable, sometimes we overcompensate. And instead of creating an atmosphere of faith, when we overcompensate, we, ex- we become experts in skepticism. And all faith dies in our life. And instead of believing in testimonies of the saints, which is the power to overcome the enemy, you never overcome the enemy because you are constantly doubting. You hear these amazing testimonies, and they're strangled out by your skepticism. You know, we have teams that are out on the mission field now, and there's mission teams that are going out this week. And, and they'll come back and they'll have testimonies. Testimonies of physical healings. And they'll tell you about it. And many of you will, will listen to it. But in your heart, you'll say, whatever. Brothers and sisters, get this straight. It's the point of my message today. This culture of unbelief, doubt, and skepticism... This is not a culture created by the Spirit of God. This is a culture created by the devil himself. Why? Because the devil knows Revelation 12. He knows that the church will overcome the enemy. That he will be overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So if he can create a culture where he makes you second guess and doubt every testimony that you ever hear, whether from the Bible or your family or friends or in history, He knows that he can take away the power that is rightfully yours to overcome the works of the enemy. Brothers and sisters, the testimony is a powerful thing. It has the power to bless, to heal, to deliver, to bring breakthrough. And ultimately in Revelations, it has the power to overcome the enemy. And I'm going to tell you something else about a testimony. Turn with me to Revelations 19.10. Revelation 19.10. Revelation 19.10, it says, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. For the testimony of Jesus is is a spirit of prophecy. Let me explain this a little bit. Did you know that every testimony 
Every one of your testimony, your personal experiences, is not just your testimony, but it's the testimony of Jesus. It's the gospel at work in your life. And as the gospel is at work in your life, the testimony that flows from that is a testimony of Jesus. If Jesus holds the pen and he's been writing this story, it's just not your testimony, but it's the testimony of Jesus. And what the Bible is telling us is that the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. In other words, testimony is a form of prophecy. When you, test, when you share a testimony, in a way you're prophesying over people. Testimonies prophesy good intent. And the testimonies prof- prophesy God's intent and nature to all who hear. When a testimony goes out, it shows the, God's intent and the nature of God in all who hear. It's saying if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. And saying, if God could do it for him, he could do it for me. You know, this week I got an email from a friend. He has a longtime friend named is Sung. And he used to be here in, in uh, Korea for a long time. He was one of the first friends that I made when I first came to Korea. Uh, and he went back to, to Dallas like a long time ago, like I think four years ago. But we still keep in touch. And uh, recently, I think this past week, I think it was on Tuesday, he sent me this email. I was like, yeah, I have a friend. And uh, his, his, friend's, his friend's little brother is in the same situation as you. you know, he's getting deported from America. And, you know, if, a lot of you guys don't know my testimony, but a lot of you guys know my testimony. Some of you guys might not know, but I, I did a lot of bad things in America. Uh, I never became an American citizen. And when I did all these bad things, they, they put me in jail. And then after jail, they said, you got to leave, go back to Korea. So I actually got kicked out of Korea. I came here. America, and I came to Korea. And so he was, he was like, yeah, man, I want, can, you, can you speak to him? Can you, like, you know, kind of tell him what it's going to be like? Because he's, kind of, he's, really, he's really young. He got in with the wrong crowd, started doing all these drugs, started doing all these bad things. He got three strikes, and you're out. And he's getting kicked out of, of America soon. And I remember when I heard this, I was like, all right, I talked to him. Because, you know, I, having gone through it, there's things that I know. When I first had to come to Korea... My mind was just like, oh my goodness. What I remembered about Korea when I was six, seven years old, when I left in 1982, man, there was, there, was, there was no such thing as showers. But it was only like public baths. You know, people were urinating everywhere. It was really old. Was, I just, just, that's what I imagined Korea to be. And so I had this like, this whacked out image of Korea before I came. And finally, when I came, I realized, oh, it's not that bad. Then there's all these things that I went through, these things that I had to overcome as, as a person that was being re-entered, into back, re-entered back into Korean society. And so, you know, I was like, man, I, I, you know, I'll talk with you. And so I, I started writing this email. I was like, all right, you know, you know when you get here, you got to get your Jumin to no card because everybody needs, a, you know, like your ID. And then, uh, you know, you, you could, there's this thing called key money. If you want to find a place to live, you know, you should, write, you should get some key money. I was writing all this stuff, and I said, oh, the Korean army, man. There's no way around it. You're going to have to go to the Korean army. And I, yeah, everybody, every guy, if you're a Korean male, you have to go, no matter what. There's no, I think unless you're 45, um, and even then, you got to do something. They make you do something, hold a gun or something. But, like, 
you, there's no around this. I told them, I was like, yeah, you know, when you get here after six months, they'll give you the give you the slip to go to a physical and they tell you like what you're gonna do. So I was still writing this email and then I, I read it and I was like, man, this is depressing. <laughs> and then I remember, like, like something came in me and I started and then I started writing out my testimony. And and as I was writing it, I was reminded, I was like, man, am I, I started writing this testimony. I was like, man, what can, what what was for me can happen to you? And I started writing, you know. When you come here, it's going to be tough because, you know, when you, when you get entered into Korean society, you don't have a college degree, you have this prison record, all it's tough. It's tough. Nothing's handed to you. There's no gangs in Korea. There's no easy money. You can't sell drugs here. You know, you can, but, you know, it's, it's like you go away for a long time. It's, just like there's, it's not like that kind of society. Everybody in Korea works hard. If you look at the Ajishis that, like, you know, does stuff like this, like breaking out, they, they work hard. You know, the Ajishis that are fixing the gravel on the ground and doing all they work hard. It's a hard-working society. And I wrote, you're going to have to work hard. And it's not going to be easy for you. But you know what? If, 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 you, if you make a serious decision to live right, this, this, could be the, this, could, this can be the best. It can actually be the best thing to happen to you. And I wrote, because when I first came to Korea, man, I was depressed. And I wrote to him, I was like, man... I was depressed and I was faced with all these things, but I made a, I had faced with a decision, live right or die. That really was what, what I was faced with. It's like live right or die. Like the, the, the crazy way that you lived in the past ain't not going to work for you here. You have to start living right or die. I wrote that. I told them about church. I came to church and just like, you know, these people accepted me fully and just like, it brought me back to my relationship with God and how, you know, how I just grew and, and how it be. I made a life for myself here. And I started writing it out. And then I, as I was sending it, I was like, man. I, I, like, I felt like it was like a prophetic word that was going out. This testimony that I wrote, I was like, man, this could happen for you. This could be, yeah, it's going to be tough. But this could be like the thing that changes your life around. For me, God redeemed every stupid mistake that I ever made. Every drug I did, everything that I stole, every car that I stole, everything that I stole from my mom, all these things, all these horrible things, getting caught by the police. God redeemed all of those bad decisions. And right now, I gave my life back to God, and I said, I'm going to live for you. And God put me in a place where this is exactly where I want to be. There's no place else in this world that I would rather be than here right now with you people. It really isn't. And he's able to redeem every bad thing. And I wrote that out. And I, and I sent the email. And then the, his friend was like, man, this, this is powerful, man. This is exactly what my friend needs to hear. And, and I was like, and I felt like this prophecy of Jesus going out. It was like a testimony of Jesus in my life. But it was actually a prophetic word that was being spoken. And then I got reminded of me when I first came to Korea. And you know, when I first came to Korea... Uh, my my I had, my cousin was here. His name is John. He's from New York, and he he came to New Philly first. He came to JSM first, and he he was so he, if he, I know he's not listening to this podcast, but John helped me a lot when I first came to Korea. You know, he's my cousin, and he loved me unconditionally. He really blessed me. But one of the things that he did was he he's like, man, you got to meet Pastor Paul. So Pastor Paul, he man, he did the same thing you did. He went to prison. He was Pastor Paul is way more gangster than me. I'm not gangster, right? I may have tattoos. I may have done bad things, but man, Pastor, he was a gangster. He was a blood, right? He was an Asian blood, which is like, you gotta be crazy to be an Asian blood, you know? 
And so he, he, he was like, he's like, you got to go talk to him because, you know, he came here. You know, he got deported from America. He came here. And, you know, he actually went to jail in Korea, all this thing. And then he found God. He found Jesus. And now he's like, he's a pastor of, of Jubilee Church. And right at then, he was doing mornings, morning prayer meetings at Jubilee at 7 o'clock. And people were just gathered to pray, you know, at Jubilee's old, old building. And I remember, I, I didn't know what Jubilee was. I think it was like my second week, third week in Korea. I went. I was like, all right, I'm going to go. I'll talk with him. So John, he took me to morning prayer at uh, Jubilee in Gangnam. And I remember walking in. But before I walked in, I saw this guy with this, this Detroit Lions cap on. He's jacked. He's all big. He's like, I got this prison body. Oh, walking up. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing, man? And he's like, run. he walks by me and just goes, goes into the sanctuary. And I was like, man, I must be Pastor Paul. And, and then, like, he's gangster. When he's praying, he's like, oh, la, la. He's like, you know, he, he, he just, he's a fiery, you know, when he prays, he prays powerfully. And everybody just got into it. I was just sitting in the back like, man, this is crazy. You know, this is weird. And then afterwards, he kind of took me aside. And he sat me down. And he talked to me. He's like, so where are you from? Where are you from? I kind of told him my story. And he was like, oh, all right. And he started telling me a little bit about himself. And he said, you know what? I, I went through similar things. And I came to Korea, and I couldn't do anything. This was like a lot, a lot before me. He's a lot older than me. He's like, man, this is back then. There's nothing. And, you know, like I went, and he, and he actually started doing, you know, like crazy things again in Korea. And he, he got into trouble. And then he said he found the Lord. And when he found, radically changed his life for him. And when I heard that, Although I wasn't receiving anything, I remember there was a hope that rose up in me. It was like, man, this could happen for me. This, this like, like there, it's not hopeless. Because in my mind, I was thinking, like, everybody that gets supported is going to get messed up. You know, be a, like, I would see homeless people at Seoul Station. I'd be like, going to be like one of those. I was just, all these crazy thoughts was going through my mind. And then this, this, this hope, just a spark of hope. Now, from hearing Pastor Paul, and I remember as I, as I started growing the church and I would see Pastor Paul, I was like, man, my life radically kind of like is very similar to what he went through. You know, like he did the same thing I did about the military service. He had to give out parking tickets in Gangnam. Or I had to give out parking tickets in Kwanak, you know. And then after that, you know, like he just, he just God radically transformed his life. And I remember me. You know, like thinking back and like, man, I remember that moment when I met Pastor Paul. And his testimony was a prophetic word over my life. Brothers and sisters, your testimonies are powerful. It's a powerful thing. Your testimonies are powerful. But it all depends on how the testimony is received. And when I heard Pastor Paul's testimonies, testimony, I received it with hope. I received it. I believed it. I believed that it could be my testimony. And brothers and sisters, there is a, there, there's power in your testimonies. But you know what? We have to get into the habit of believing testimonies. Not just believe it, but claiming testimonies for ourselves. There is power in your testimony. Everyone, I want everybody to say, there is power in my testimony. And when Jesus gives you a testimony, you can't just keep that to yourself. You have to speak it out in faith. Because you never know who is going 
to hear it. You never know who is going to speak into. You know, you know what? You want to know somebody that who loved telling testimonies? It's a guy by the name of David. And if you look at Psalms, it's all just testimonies of what God did. It's all testimony of God's goodness and grace and love and provision and protection over his life. Psalm 71, 15 through 18 says, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the, of the Lord God, I will come, I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, from my mouth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, so, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim my might, your might to, uh, to another generation. Your power to all those to come. Psalm 40, 9 through 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. You know, here in Korea, in Korean churches, you'll never hear testimonies like that are the ones that are being spoken out here in New Philly. Because there's this culture of saving face. You will never hear a testimony like Pastor Minas. You're bringing shame to your family. Keep that to yourself. Yeah, God healed you and did all that, but nobody know, ain't nobody know, has to know about the nitty-gritty details. And it just kills the power of a testimony in the Korean culture. So many breakthroughs, so many healings that can come from a testimony is delayed or shut down by pride and by shame. This culture of skepticism about testimonies and what God does through his people, it's from Satan himself. He wants to create this culture of doubt, this atmosphere of skepticism, because it kills faith. And he knows that if he can get us to not believe in a testimony, he knows that he can strip us of the one thing, of one of the things that will lead to his downfall. The words of their testimony. Brothers and sisters, tap into the conquering power of a testimony. When you share your testimony, people can be healed. When you, tell, when you share your testimonies, people can be saved. People can be delivered. Lives can be restored. There is power in the testimony, and it's the testimony of Jesus Christ. It all points back to Him. He's the source of every testimony, and there is power in Jesus. A testimony expresses the nature and intent of the Father's heart. And when you hear a testimony, don't be so quick to doubt it or shoot it down because ultimately you can be doubting and shooting down God himself. But, but what he calls us to do is access the power of our testimonies. The testimonies that we hear. The testimonies of history. The testimonies of family and friends around us. The testimony that God himself is writing in your life He's saying, tap into that power. There's power 
in that testimony. He's saying you need to first believe and then you need to share. So I'll close our eyes and pray. And I want us to first pray and respond. And the first thing that I want us to pray for is that God will break skepticism off of our life. Doubt. Break it off of our lives. Unbelief. The skeptical attitude that wants to, to, to just pick at every, everything that we hear. Every supernatural thing that we hear, we, we're, it's faced. It, it has to go through this filter of our, our doubt and our unbelief and our skepticism. But God's saying, tear that down. And I want us to pray right now. For those of you that have a hard time believing in testimonies, I want to pray for you guys. And I want you to, you to pray to God right now. Say, God, just break, break this skepticism off me, this critical attitude that I have. You're writing. Break it off of me. And help me to have faith. Help me to believe. Help me to not doubt. Lord, break this doubt off of me. And I want you guys to pray it right now. If, you, if you're one of those people, if you have a hard time, when you hear a testimony and the first thing that comes up in your heart is doubt, that's not from God. It's not from God. It's from the enemy. When you hear a testimony of healing and the first thing that, that comes to your head is that, you know what? That's, it's just it's a lie. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, He's telling you right now, break it off of yourself. Break off that doubt. Break off that, that, that uh, the unbelief. And, and I want you guys right now, pray for God to raise faith in your life. To raise it up. Increase my faith, God. Help me to believe. Help me to stand. Help me to take every testimony of Jesus Christ. I want you guys to pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. Lord, break off skepticism of Break off skepticism of every heart, Lord. Help us to have a heart open to what you want, your, your doing. next I want you guys I want, and I want you guys to pray right now that God will anoint your lips to speak out your testimonies some of you guys have amazing testimonies some of you guys have testimonies that the person next to you needs to hear for them to, to, to break out of 
bondage. Some of you guys have testimonies that can bring healing into people's lives. That can bring deliverance into people's lives. And God said, you need to speak it out. And right now, I want you guys to pray. Say, God, anoint my lips. Give me the courage and the faith to speak out my testimonies. Help me to not hinder the work that you're doing through me, Lord. But help me to just boldly proclaim every good thing that you do. Every good thing that you've done. And every good thing that you will ever do. Help me to proclaim it from my lips. Help me to be like David and say that I have, I have not hidden the, 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 the works of your hands. and my, Your amazing testimony. I have not hidden them in my heart. But I will speak it out boldly. I will proclaim it to this world that needs you so much. And you know what? The power, the, the testimony of Jesus Christ is a spirit of prophecy. I want you guys to speak that over yourself right now, that God will anoint your lips and anoint your testimonies for power. Let's pray. I want you guys to pray. Pray it out loud. Father God, we pray, Lord, help us to not hide our testimonies. Lord, the light that you that shines from us, help us not hide it under a, uh, under a bowl. But help us to proclaim it out. Help us to be not shy about our testimonies. Help us not feel shame about our testimonies. But help us to be bold, courageous. And help us to speak it out. And Lord, I pray right now that you'll break off any kind of critical doubt that's over us. Lord, the, that the doubt comes from the enemy that makes us not believe, Lord. The skeptical spirit, Lord, I break it off in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be a generation that believes. That believes in the works of your hands. That believes in the wondrous works of your hands, Lord. And we will be a generation, Lord. And we will be a people that not, not just believes, but will stand upon your testimonies, upon the testimony of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We, we pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.